Well, tonight's guest in the Honky Tonk Time Machine has five number one country hits under his belt, 14 inside the top 10, and over 7 million albums sold. And he is one of my all-time favorites. Gary Allen is with us tonight. Gary, thanks so much for being a part of the show. My pleasure. Good to be here. Throughout the show, we're going to get to know Gary. We're going to talk about all of his biggest hits. We're also going to talk about and play his new single, which you've been hearing on K103, Waste of a Whiskey Drink. We'll save that for a little bit later on. But for now, let's just start at the beginning, Gary. Anybody who's a Gary Allen fan knows that you were born and raised in Southern California, right? Yes, sir. Out in Orange County. How far away is that from Bakersfield, California? Uh, two hours, hour and a half. Okay. So you know where I'm going with this. Was the, was, oh, yeah. <laughs> was the Bakersfield scene like your biggest influence? I mean, it had to be, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, him, uh, Buck and, and Merle Haggard and Dwight Yoakam, too. That uh, that Guitars and Cadillacs record came out in 18, 1986, like right when I was graduating high school. And uh, yeah, so that was all, all that sound was a huge huge part of my life and that that was back when the palomino was going off so uh you know there was a couple hollywood clubs that were you know had some really good country music in them too so you get influence from from that perspective but also you come from a a a family where music was pretty important too right absolutely there was always a pa set up in our living room um my dad played my brother played uh yeah so there was yeah i think that's what i did every day when i got home from school was (laughs) you know, go through a, a songbook and just learn songs. So tonight's show is all about you, Gary. We're going to play a ton of your music, but we also want to mix in some of your influence, like maybe a Merle Haggard, Dwight Yoakam. So if I'm picking a song, would Guitars and Cadillacs be the one then I should play? Or Yeah, I would say Guitars and Cadillacs, Dwight. That's uh, just that whole album uh, Yeah, really changed my life. I think that, and then uh, that was right about the time the High Women Tour came through. And uh, watching Johnny Cash and... Uh, and, and Waylon and, and Willie, uh, it, it was uh, that was really life changing. That, that was when you know watching somebody play with just a guitar. It was it was very hardcore um, and, and cutting. And it wasn't a whole band. It was just a dude and a guitar. When I was growing up, I only knew really the Nashville sound early on. I didn't get introduced to the Bakersfield sound until much later. But it was so cool to be introduced to it after I'd heard more of the Nashville sound and be like, man, this is just a whole nother avenue of, of a way country music can sound that I didn't even know about. And then I just fell in love with your music and Dwight's music and everybody else's kind of after the fact. Yeah, it's definitely got a different twang to it out there. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'm definitely a fan of the West Coast stuff. How did you go from there to, to Nashville, Tennessee? Can, can you take me through how that transition happened for you? Uh, yeah, I um, I was actually uh, selling uh, cars. Uh, I, I, I was, well, I'll go back further than that. I had a, a, a construction company. My friend, Byron Hill, got the uh, gig as head of A&R for RCA Records, so I thought I had a record deal. Sold my company. Um, Byron got fired. I was selling cars at a, at a um, Dodge dealership. Sold a lady a truck, and she came in a little bit later to get it washed, and um, somebody was listening to my demo in that truck, and it was a old uh, an old song by, oh, who was it? Uh, if I Was a Drinking Man was the name of the song um neil mccoy okay uh had it and but anyway i sang the demo to that and she came in going who's on this demo and i go oh that's mine and uh <laughs> she said well who's messing up your song on the radio <laughs> and i kind of <laughs> laughed and said well that's a songwriting demo and usually you like whoever you like first you know and uh anyway she uh i told her my whole story and she said well what's stopping you and i said well my next step is probably to go to nashville and make a demo there 
And uh, anyway, she goes, what do you think that's going to cost? And I go, I don't know, ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000. And she wrote me a check for $12,000, and I flew to Nashville, made a demo, and uh, was in a bidding war within like five or six months and ended up on the deck of records. And eventually you were able to pay her back. Yeah. It was all just so random um, <laughs> in hindsight. You get there, you, you sign your record deal, and you, you put out your, your first single there in 1996, um, Her Man, which to this day is one of my favorite songs of yours. I didn't know until I watched your uh, your Facebook video, the Gary Allen Rewind, that Waylon Jennings did that song first. I had no idea. Yeah. In fact, I remember after I had released it, uh, I heard his version, and it was really hard for me to get that out of my head and not sing it like Waylon Jennings because he <laughs> so has a, you know, I'm going to change it. It's very Waylon-ish. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, I went back and listened after the fact, and he's definitely full Waylon on it. So how did that song get introduced to you then? Yeah, Kent Robbins, um, uh, the guy that wrote it, he's the one that uh, pitched it. And I think he just revamped it and pitched it because I didn't know it was a Waylon song until after I had uh, after I had already recorded it, and I believe until it was released, uh, I just, yeah, because I don't know if I would have did it as my first song if I would have realized it was a cover. Ended up being huge for you. I mean, a top 10 single, and you were, you know, on the scene. What was that time like? You have your first song out on radio, and things seem to be going well. Ah, uh, super exciting. You know, I can remember hearing that, in, you know, at my parents' house in the garage on the radio, and and just giant in life, you know, thinking, oh my gosh, you've worked your whole life to, to do something like this, and you're going to get a swing at it. A few more songs from that first album, uh, Used Heart for Sale, come out. You know, they're all right around that top 40 range, but your next big hit was It Would Be You, which was the title track to your sophomore album. I probably heard it before I heard Her Man. That was the song that kind of turned me on to your music. I absolutely loved It Would Be You. Yeah, great song. You know what? I, I might be wrong, but I think that's a Kent Robbins song, too. Same songwriter. He also wrote Every Light in the House is on. Great writer. What I'll say about that song and, and several of your songs is the amazing use of similes and metaphors or analogies. I mean, all songs have these, but yours seem to just knock them out of the park. Really deep, good stuff. I'm going to throw some similes and metaphors at you from some of your biggest hits. <laughs> Burns as slow as whiskey through an empty, aching soul. Yeah. Uh, the night is like a dagger, long and cold and yeah. sharp. And then your love is like a deep, dark river pulling me out to sea. Yeah. And uh, another one is I'll fill those canyons in your soul like a river lead you home. That's just a few. You, your songs are full of these things. Yeah, I'm a lyric guy. <laughs> you just fortunate to have good writers? I mean, how are you finding these things? I don't know. You know, I think that uh, I'm, I'm really not a beat guy. It's, it's all about the words to me. So, yeah, I get lost in songs. And if they don't make you laugh, make you cry, piss you off, then... Yeah, you're just adding to the fluff. So, I, I, yeah, they all got to mean something. Yeah, and that's why it would be you was was kind of the first one of those. It's like, man, this guy, this guy's lyrics are are just incredible. But that leads me to the next song, and it is my favorite song of yours, and that's uh, "Smoke Rings in the Dark" from 1999. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that seemed to be the song that kind of helped your career take off. Like it seemed like everybody started taking a notice of Gary Allen when smoke rings in the dark came out yeah that was huge for me uh we did that with uh tony brown and mark wright and in fact the single that we have out right now i put that exact same crew together um same band same producers and my thought process was this 90s sound is kind of coming back and i thought hell that's what i do <laughs> put the exact crew together and, and those guys and that's where uh Waste of a Whiskey Drink came from. Yeah, and that's kind of the theme of this show. That's why we started this show, kind of bringing that 90s sound back as well, so it all kind of yeah. ties in. So when you hear Smoke Rings in the Dark, do you know right away that, that this is going to be a Gary Allen song? Was it the lyrics that drew you to it? 
I, it was that, and oddly enough, the the tone of it. Um, the Rivers Rutherford wrote that, and I believe Mark Wright told him that he wanted something uh, that uh, Glenn Fry would sing. That, that was oh. the direction. And he came back with that song, um, which I thought was a pretty cool story. The line about the whiskey burning through an empty anchored soul, the imagery of it, it reminds me of, of the scene in the movie Pirates of the Caribbean where, where the pirate drinks the whiskey and you see it kind of leaking through his skeleton down, down his body. Right. But <laughs> for me, I don't know, it just it just takes me bare. But that's what you kind of want in a song. You want that, that imagery to take your listener, you know, just on this journey with them. And you accomplished it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, the, you yeah you definitely want to want every every line to paint pictures. I want to talk to you about a song that I feel is is one of your best, but might have been underrated, especially when you look on the chart. Loving you against my will from two thousand is another one with great imagery, great tone, um, but it, it was a uh, somewhere around a top thirty hit for you, so it wasn't one of your biggest hits. But I yeah. want to know where it ranks for you because it's always been one of my favorites. Me too, and and I keep trying to put it back in the show. And it kind of lays there in the show too, even when we do it in uh in in sound check. So, or you know what I mean when we yeah. when we rehearse and we try to put it back in, I always end up taking it back out. You know what? I couldn't put my finger on why it's why it didn't get magic for everybody else, but I I love that song too. Unfortunately for you, there was still plenty of magic to be had. Right where I need to be was your next single, and that one did take off top five. Truly, that's like a highlight of our show. Still, um, still, when I see other bands in bars, I hear that song a lot. Uh, yeah, great, great song. And I'm skipping over some songs because we don't have time to, to talk about all of them. But the next one I do want to talk about was The One, uh, which was also from that All Right Guy album. And I just learned in your, your Gary Allen Rewind, too, that you actually recorded that and didn't really expect anybody to hear it and didn't expect much of it, but ended up being one of your biggest hits. Yeah, we were playing with um, playing with loops, you know, those drum loops. And that was back before they were cool, I guess. And uh, and I don't know. I thought it was just a little too weird and repetitive and poppy, and I uh, didn't expect I didn't expect anybody really to hear it. And then, uh, yeah, when they heard it, everybody gravitated towards that one. And I was <laughs> oh, okay. We'll go around with that. <laughs> I always want I always want whatever they think they can make fly. You know what I mean? Because I love them all. 